Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast. My name's Andrew Harrison. I am a naive young Jedi when it comes to money, but it's okay because I've got the Obi-Wan Kenobi of finance, Andy Mayer, here with me. Hello, Andy. How are you? Good. The sun is shining outside my office, so what could be wrong with the world? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. So <laughs> it's the end of the tax year. The clocks have gone forward. We're actually mingling in groups of six people now, which we thought we never thought we'd do again. So we thought we'd do a first quarter review of the first quarter of 2021 from a financial and, and a savings point of view. Firstly, why is why is this an important period? Why, why does it matter? We've all paid our taxes. We've seen the budget. What should we be thinking about at the moment? I think the end of the first quarter, financially, it's the end of the tax year. So people then take stock on, like everyone makes New Year's resolutions in December. And I think people get to the end of the tax year and look at what they've saved, what they haven't saved, what they're looking forward to. But I think especially important in a year of COVID that there is some light at the end of the tunnel, we hope, sort of social wise. And economically, we might be over one of the big humps. I think there's still a few humps left, but I think we might have got over one of them. Let's talk about the market first and what that's going to mean for people's investments, because weirdly, the FTSE is up about 5% in the first quarter. It's still down about 12% on January 2020, before the, the, the lockdowns and everything kicked in. What, what do you make of the recovery so far? As we always say, the stock market's not the economy, but the markets have recovered remarkably well. Bearing in mind a global pandemic and the portfolios last year made money and they've started the year quite positively. But that can be influenced by certain big stocks that people invest in. There is a general feeling of optimism, but the markets, when you look at them on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis, are still incredibly volatile. There are still movements of, in the FTSE alone, 1% or 2% over a day. That used to be a decade ago, well, probably just before the global financial crisis, that used to be what happened in a month. Now we get these in one or two days and the market's reacting very weirdly to certain things. If you look at the AstraZeneca's issue, AstraZeneca shares are anywhere down 15 to 20% over a different period. Yeah, it's still a great company. Got some great drugs coming out to, to fruition, but through some bad publicity with the EU, the shares have plummeted. Yeah, you wouldn't say AstraZeneca are a bad company. Loaded down with cash and the American drug market, the pharmaceutical market, is one of the strongest in the world. Yeah. And has been, you know, the AstraZeneca drug has been unequivocally approved in the US, hasn't it? Like this, and the, the, the thing that people in Europe seem to be worried about, this blood clot thing, you know, European medicines agencies themselves are saying there's, there's nothing in it. So it, it's like national governments are the ones concerned about it, no actual authorities. But isn't it strange that you've now, and this is how the stock market is, rumours have affected a share price dramatically, yet when the facts are uncovered with cash in the bank, a company that will have a continuing global presence, Mm. and as I think most people are aware, it doesn't look like this pandemic will just be fixed, and yet certain bad press have caused a market slump, and that's what often happens in stock markets across the world that a couple of news stories can affect a share price. AstraZeneca, bizarrely, is a good share to hold. Have you had yours yet? Have you had your shot? I've had my first shot. I'm waiting for the second one. Very excited. What did, what did you get? I got the AstraZeneca one. Me too. AstraZeneca all the way. And we, we, both agree, <laughs> we both agree Bill Gates is brilliant, don't we? Um, so tell me, Andy, you know, what, what the... 
what's happening so far this year, you're always a big advocate of, you know, don't read the stocks pages, don't react immediately, take the very long view. What what do you think, of, you, you said, that, you know, there's optimism around. What do you think of the fundamentals here? I think in the UK, there's some very sound fundamentals, i.e. financials and energy stocks, I've, as I've been saying for the last 12 months, I think are under, I think we've got some real issues with, some probably casual dining in certain areas. I think corporate hospitality. And I don't think the vaccine, whichever one you want to say you've taken, is a silver bullet that's going to lead to an instant recovery. And I think mm. there is going to be some massive societal changes. Will people want to go back to an office five days a week? I know the Goldman Sachs chairman came out and said they don't work well. There's no creativity with everyone yeah. working from home. And then some of the... The worker said, yeah, but we'll work in 90 hours. How can we be creative? So, But there's going to be companies where people don't go back every day, and that will change the sort of the pret-a-manger sort of business model where you'd have sandwich shops next to tube stations and big office blocks. If there's only 20% of those people going back, that business model and those areas will struggle. What, what do you think people should be thinking about in terms of – I mean, I always come back to this, don't I? Their investments and their savings, the way things – because, I mean – well, I saw a report from the Centre for Economics and Business Research, which said that COVID's cost the UK economy £251 billion, twice the output of Scotland. And to sort of relate that back to your own, you know, your own savings, your retirement plan or whatever, it's very hard to draw the line, isn't it? What should people be thinking? I think there'll be, if we look at that stat, I mean, it's staggering, really. But I think, okay, the positive is that it's not just the UK who suffered economically, the world has. So central banks are supporting every government to keep the world going. More importantly, we talk about this pound cost averaging, this about buying three bottles of wine for the price of two. That will continue this year. I think when people have got a lump sum of money to invest, it's to drip it in. Your existing savings will go up and down with the market. But if people are 12 months away from wanting to take income, then we would put a portion of that into cash, maybe the first year, maybe the second years, to protect it. The rest of it should ride along with various degrees of profit in the market because the big thing with investing money, you get paid a return that's not guaranteed for taking an element of risk. Because if we look at inflation being sort of anywhere 0.5 to 1%, if you take a five-year view, then one thing that you have to do is just beat inflation. That's the number one. But investing in different markets, you get paid a bigger return for the risk that you take. And if, as we all saw from March through to June, those risks sometimes come with a lot of turbulence. So I saw some OECD figures that said Britain's recovery is slower than anybody's apart from Spain, Greece and Italy. Why is that? Is it, is it to do with the size of the country? Is it to do with Brexit? I think there's a combination of factors. I think Brexit's obviously impacted a lot of things because you've got issues with the port, issues with tariffs. I mean, I've just gone and bought a painting from Portugal hmm. that I wanted for my office. And I'm not very artistic, but... I liked it. it was somebody I see on every time I do a zoom with Jenny, she's got this great picture and I mm. thought, I'll get it. But DPD dropped a note through my door yesterday and saying there's a 30 pound charge for import duty, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. So you suddenly go, ah, and I know people who've got stock stuck at ports. So the Brexit issue will have slowed things down. It will unravel. And we've also got obviously industries that are 
basically hibernating because of furlough. Yeah. So I think when furlough unravels or ends, we'll see certain sectors grow very quickly and certain sectors where they've probably on the way out or certain businesses or certain types of businesses will be gone. One of the main things we've been worried about as well as jobs. And just before we started recording this podcast, the news came through that unemployment had fallen for the first time since the pandemic started. It's down to 5% from 5.1%. Uh, that's 68,000 more people employed than were the previous month. But there's still been 690,000 jobs lost since the pandemic began. You know, this time last year, we were sort of bracing ourselves for kind of like early 1980s style horror stories of endless kind of job centre queues and, and, and uh, no vacancies. 12 months on, what, what do you think is likely to happen? I think we through the furlough scheme and certain, when you look at furloughs hiding an awful lot of unemployment and there are dormant companies which will close when furlough ends. I think we've also looked at probably student unemployment in a new way. I think every yeah. government for the last 30 years has hidden unemployment figures through a succession of changing the definitions. I can't see unemployment not going up in September when furlough ends. And if unemployment doesn't go up, then that would be remarkable. But it's how they can create new industries to get people back into work. As somebody said to me, Amazon doesn't create jobs. It just redistributes them. Yeah, on less money. Yeah, and that's where it's going to be fascinating to see how we are going to get people employed what are the new industries going to take up is it home delivery forever and none of us go back to a supermarket is yeah. it takeaway foods without people going back to a restaurant or will there be this clamor to go back into restaurants to dining and people will increase their spend by going out more which will create more jobs it's going to be fascinating isn't it as well as as well as worrying that kind of interplay between you know where you work and where hospitality and leisure is situated i'm in london we, we're hearing stories about major department stores reducing from six floors to two and trying to turn the remaining floors into office space and i'm thinking well who wants the office space well, you know there isn't the demand that there was no and i've spoken to a lot of people who are planning to work from home monday to wednesday going to london to work thursday friday because it's social so they'll yeah. start their weekend go to work but if you've been able to work comfortably from home, would you take the train from Colchester back into London? Would you take the train back from Brighton when you can save your £5,000 a year on rail fees? But what you're saying about leisure there, or, or you know, leisure in a very sort of broad sense, I think it's true because like you don't want to commute every day if it's five days a week. But if it's once or twice a week into a big city, it actually, there's a, just, there's a change as good as a rest factor. You know, it's you're you're not sick and tired of it. It's a bit different. I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. A mate of mine who said he can't wait to get back into the office for a rest. <laughs> you know, he's, a, he's at home with the kids and driving all the world. He's got to do all of his work and the home stuff. Him and his wife are both doing. You know, I've got a lot of faith they're splitting the work equally, but statistics indicate that women are doing far more during uh, lockdown than men are. But he's like, I, I want to get back into the office because it means I'll be able to sort of do things on on my rhythm. And not have 19 things screaming at me, only having 10 things screaming at me. But I think you're right. I think there's an awful lot of people who want to go back to the routine of an office. But I think mm. there's an awful lot of people who've ha happily got up at 6 a.m. to do their Peloton class, started work at half seven, taking a lunch break, and then done other things. And I think there's a real mix. I think some people have, will crave going back to the sociability of an office, and other people won't. But companies are going to look at office space and go, do I need to spend a million pound on office rent 
Maybe I need to spend 150,000, reduce the, the size, or get rid of it and bring people once a month to a hotel for a team meeting. And I think, as with every recession or every crisis, people look at their overall cost to spending and go, do I need to do this? For example, will you put people on a plane to New York for a deal or will you just set up a Zoom Teams meeting, do most of the negotiations via that and then put people on a plane maybe for the signing meeting or one? So there will be structural changes with how we work. But there will, I mean, I'm going into London, I think it's in May. I'm really excited because I feel like it's a holiday. I'm going to London and that, yeah. that will be great going for lunch in a restaurant. Amazing. But I think there's other people who've been commuting, whether it's from the outskirts of Birmingham, the outskirts yeah. of Stoke into Stoke and going, that's 40 minutes. I can actually do it. But other people have been stuck in a dining room or a bedroom. Like you said, your friend are desperate to get out because they want a touch of normality. Let's talk about the housing situation. Stamp duty holiday is continuing. House prices are continuing to, to rise. There's talk of weirdly like a COVID boom in, in the more expensive areas. Can that sustain? And why, why has the market been so strong? Well, I called this one totally wrong because I thought house prices would drop because of unemployment. And then Sunek introduced his stamp duty holiday, which has made everyone rush to buy a house. On the coastlines, house prices have risen anywhere in 12 to 15 months from 15 to 25%. In response, the Chancellor has then issued that he'll help lenders do 95% mortgages for first-time buyers to try and encourage them back. But the issue has become what was already an overinflated market in terms of prices has just got worse. Now, I've suspected that if they can keep unemployment low and the central banks have learned their lessons from the global financial crisis where they don't repossess, then you could see house prices stay artificially high and the, the government will continue to support new build because of the amount of jobs it creates in the economy. But the real issue is for young first people, young first time buyers. If you've seen it, it doesn't matter what the average price in your house area is. If it was 150,000 or 300,000, that's jumped up five to 10%. If you can't afford the £150,000 mortgage or that was the top of your budget and that house is now, say, 165. not only the lenders will say no because of the risk of default and the risk of being fined by the FCA if you get into arrears. So there's this real mix now where there is a real dilemma. Whilst house prices have gone up and everyone's going, if you own a house, great, but it's only actually a profit if you cash it in. But then you've got young first-time buyers who are going, how the hell do they get on the ladder? Yeah. Um, do you think there's a, a degree to which the stamp duty holiday, um, furlough, all the other things that have been used to kind of to both hold things up and also kind of keep the economy in limbo? Is it just putting off an inevitable slump because we've got overpriced housing and a market that just won't support it? Is it inevitably going to collapse? I think the housing index has always been helped by also a lot of people who have lived in city centres who decide they don't need to. And an awful lot of people have decided they need a garden. As towards when the inevitable bubble bursts, that's an incredibly difficult one because I think the economy has recovered quicker 
as has the market, than I would have said last March. But I think the key part for the UK, every country, when I speak to my best mate in the States, they're going out to pubs, restaurants. There's been virtually no lockdown. You speak to my family in Ireland, they're under house arrest to a point. And then we've got a sort of hybrid measure. But when you then look at what will happen, I think the key question is September for us when furlough ends, how many of those businesses in that quarter leading to Christmas will make people redundant, just Mm -hmm. wind up. And then we've got to look at the loans that have been offered to many of these companies that will never get repaid to the government. Mm -hmm. So that suddenly creates a borrowing debt for loans that where the interest didn't have to be paid for 12 months, which has now been extended. But will some of these companies have taken on these loans? One be able to pay them back? And that suddenly creates another issue. The positive, the really great thing is that unlike the global financial crisis where central banks and governments didn't work together, central banks across the country, so the Bank of England here, the German Bank, the Bundesbank, all of these, it's not the governments keeping the countries going, it's the banks. Well, if we're going back to the 70s (laughs) uh, with lots of intervention and government investment, we should finish by the big one. Is there a danger that inflation could come back? I mean, people my age have never really known it. The highest, it's, I checked this out, the highest it's been in my adult life is 8% back in 1991. You know, there are people old enough who can remember 20-odd percent in the 70s. It, it, could it come back? I remember buying my first house in Stoke-on-Trent with my friend John. Mm-hmm. And at one stage, it went to, my mortgage rate went to 15.5% for about three weeks. Wow. Yeah, it, I've still got the scars running down my back. If you can get through that, you can get through anything. If it was brutal, yeah, but my pay rise like was significant. This is interesting because Aviva wrote one of the worst letters I've ever read to many people, saying if we get negative interest rates, there will be a cost on cash. The way it read was that people thought they were going to lose all their money. It was an awful written letter. Yeah, but so you've got these two basically opposite ends of a spectrum. Do we get negative interest rates where you're being charged to hold hold cash, which causes some issues? Or do we then get rising inflation? Mm -hmm. Which, if we think about this for every one of us who've got mortgages or debts, it's going to be expensive. But you've got this government who who owe millions, billions and trillions. It's going to cost them more. So they can't afford inflation. And whilst it was pretty poorly timed the way the statement was about the nurses Mm. i think it was actually if they keep if they of all the public sector workers end up with three or four five percent we are going to have huge we're going to have inflation across the board now that means mortgage rates will go up it means credit card debts will go up car loans will eventually go up but for a government that's struggling to meet its repayments now it's going to mean that the cost of their borrowing goes up so there is this Massive balancing act between don't want negative inflation, but what you certainly don't want at the moment is the cost of borrowing to go up to three, four, five percent because suddenly then he's got tax rises. So, whanst I think Brand Sunek's done an excellent job, I certainly wouldn't want to be in his shoes at the moment because you need to be juggling an awful lot of balls to make sure one of them doesn't drop because if it does drop, it could cost the government an awful lot of money, which ultimately we're going to have to pay. So he's got an incredibly challenging job 
job between negative inflation and then seeing inflation going up four or five percent because if that happened i think we're going to have totally different conversations could you get your japanese stagflation then but we don't want that either because so this is the hard part he's got to keep inflation below two percent but he doesn't want it to go negative and i mean i remember in 2015 cameron and osborne were talking about helicopter payments to stop deflation because of the catastrophic impact that had on japan so sunek whatever he's earning and i mean i think one of the the worrying aspects is if there was an election next year he's probably a prime candidate to stand for number 10 but i think at the moment the biggest job in this country is not number 10 personally i think it's who's at number 11 because that impacts most of us on this podcast with our pensions our salaries everything that we do financially and you need somebody intellectually capable in number 11 and fiscally capable but who actually has a grasp of what's going on and you need that with the bank of england chairman as well andy thanks for filling me with terror (laughs) it wasn't terror i'm 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 optimistic with the roundup for the first quarter of the year we'll be back next month with more looking at whatever's happening, whatever is developed by them. What, what are you up to now? I believe you gave up white wine for Lent, which by coincidence ends on the 1st of April. I am so, so, so excited to have a glass of Burgundy the weekend. I am really optimistic about that. I think it's going to be amazing. I think it will be 50 days I gave up before Lent, before I've had a glass of white wine, but it's not been that difficult. He says, crutching at straws and counting the hours down. <laughs> Good luck with this, <laughs> everyone. Thanks for listening. We will be back next month. If you found the podcast useful, please do follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Then every new edition will pop up automatically in your app and you won't have to remember and you won't have to wait for Andy to nudge you with an email either. Andy, good talking to you. Enjoy that bottle of wine or three. I think I'm going to really enjoy the weekend. It's Easter. I think the whole country's looking at it like Christmas. I think we're going to celebrate being able to see people. The weather is good today, but the vaccine gives us all hope. And I think Easter will be a joyous period for us all, especially with a glass of white wine in my hand. There you go. Apparently it's going to snow. So I'm dreaming of a white Easter. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers.